0: This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. We're going to jump right into this because we don't have a lot of time. I want to make sure everybody has three handouts. One's the outline, and then the other is a prayer guide and a a scripture memory um, handout. So I'm not sure how much we're going to get into all this because we just don't have a lot of time, but Uh, I want to make sure you have those. Thanks. Really appreciate you being here. Glad to be together. Uh, So while everybody's getting settled, get some coffee and I'll uh, pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. And I I thank you for the desire uh, that is so evident in the hearts of everyone here this morning, their desire to know you and to have fellowship with you and to have devotions with you, Lord, and to change and to grow. Those desires are evident just as they've humbled themselves and come this morning. So I I pray for your blessings, Lord. I pray that you draw people close to you and they'd be encouraged in their soul. Uh, Father, I know that You don't just invite us into your presence. You're eager to have fellowship with believers. And I I pray they'd be encouraged today. Pray you'd accomplish your purposes. Father, not only in this class this morning, but also in in the four classes we're doing here on change. And so bless this time, Lord. We need your grace. And we ask in Jesus' name for that grace to help us grow in our knowledge of you and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I was surprised when I, I, I've got three books I'm going to mention very quickly so that you'll know where some of these quotes are coming from. One is Long Wandering Prayer. Uh, This is a A great book. I recommend you can't get it. It is out of print. I think you can get it, Zach said, for $150. I think it's a $6 book. So I don't think you want to do that. Um, I'm wondering if maybe they'll bring it back into print. But uh, I'm going to talk about it. So that's the book. Long Wandering Prayer. You can try. Uh, But uh, I will tell you, we bought every one we could get. Uh, and there wasn't very many, you know, for a reasonable price. But it's, it's a really interesting book. I'll tell you more about it. True Devotion you can get. I think this is in the bookstore. This is a very interesting book in search of authentic spirituality. I highly recommend it. Written by an Australian Anglican. And Spiritual Depression by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Very uh, well-known book. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. I actually recommend anything by Lloyd-Jones. But this one especially, I think, is very good. And so I'm I'm mentioning those books because everything in here is stolen from them. And so I happily plagiarize uh, because I just read books and learn and then tell you about it. and Nothing wrong with that. Nobody's going to be mad at me and I'm not making any money. Uh, So we're just, uh, I just, I don't originate originate any of this and I feel like if anything I say this morning is helpful if you'll dig into these books um, you can go deeper in it so but I was surprised when I was reading spiritual depression by Lloyd-Jones that he made this comment the Christian must stop praying for a moment and begin to think wasn't what I was anticipating when I'm reading this book that he's going to tell me to stop praying He, he talks about that you have these particular problems really about joy and relating to God that if you just pray about them, you'll never solve the problem. He, he's preaching about this. This book is basically sermons that he did that somebody transcribed, and he's preaching about what he called miserable Christians. They're, they're Christians who are suffering from this spiritual depression he's trying to help them they're held down they're robbed of joy and he says this is the work of the devil this is the work of the devil satan can't rob us of our salvation but he can rob us of the joy of our salvation and so from the moment we become christians we are his special objects of attention he is paying attention to us. He attacks us, the Lord's people, because makes sense, right? We belong to the Lord. And so he, he wants to disturb us and upset us. His, his main focus is try, to try to prevent everybody from becoming a Christian. But if you do become a Christian, if he fails in that, he just wants to make sure you're a miserable one. So... Lord jones draws attention of his readers, his listeners, to to this issue. He wants you to know you have an enemy. And so Satan, he wants to make you miserable, and then he wants to get other people to look at you and, and say, that's Christianity. You want to be like that? And so that's his strategy. And so... The essential cause, the fundamental issue going on with Christians who are miserable is the devil. He can, he can make us miserable. C.S. Lewis, you may know about his book, dedicated to J.R.R. Tolkien, his buddy, during World War II. It's about temptation and resisting temptation. It's called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fascinating. It's a creative book it is theological he's he's trying to teach through this you know creative way of writing this book screwtape is a senior demon and he's writing to a junior demon his nephew wormwood great names and wormwood's responsibility is to make sure that a particular british man referred to as the patient is damned to hell Forever, That's his job. And so these, these are letters that reveal Satan's strategy. And he says here, and it's, it's on your outline, there's a quote. Has, has no one ever told you? So this is screw tape, telling Wormwood. Has, in, has no one ever told you about the law of undulation? The repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back. A series of troughs and peaks. If you had watched your patient, in other words, just people, human beings, me and you, if you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life. His his interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, lives in this fallen world, as long as we live here, Periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will naturally alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. One of the most important lessons we need to learn as disciples of Christ is that we have to master our moods. We have to learn that living by faith means tenaciously trusting God and his words, even when our feelings are, do, are, are pushing us the exact opposite direction. So I'm supposed to talk to you about true devotion. And I just think this is critical, that you understand this natural tendency for all of us. For some, some it's more... Uh, difficult, but we all have this tendency. I, I included this um, quote from Matthew Henry, even winter seasons contribute to the fruitfulness of the earth. The, the point is God is at work during those times. And this way we talk about spiritual disciplines and we talk about perseverance as a Christian. It is absolutely essential otherwise, wormwood is going to get you. We live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by feelings. There, There are a lot of Christians who essentially or functionally are mystics. They base God's work in their lives on their experiences and emotions too much. One of the One of the things I strive to do, and as a pastoral team, we strive to do more than anything else, is say to you, God is at work in your life. Listen, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This is actually not a limb. I'm going to tell you right now, the fact that you're here this morning tells me God is at work in your life. The Lord, you didn't come here. You didn't, this isn't. Your sin nature in action, it's got you here this morning to talk about true devotions and change at nine o'clock in the morning before church began. God is at work in your life, and I love to tell people that because it's so encouraging. And he's at work during bad times. In fact, God is often at work most powerfully in our lives when it doesn't feel like it. We, we often discern that this is the, the truth after the fact. That's been my experience. So you feel bad. You feel like God is absent. You feel like he's not with you. You feel like it's the worst moment. And then when you look back, you realize, no, he was, that's one of the most significant times I've ever had in my life. I've learned to trust God in those moments, even though my feelings are saying exactly the opposite of what is, what is true. And so we often miss the, the presence and activity of God because we're looking like a mystic for some sort of special God feeling. And that's, that's from this, this book. That's the word he uses. This, we're looking for the, He talks about mystics a lot. He's trying to get at true spirituality. And he said, we're looking for this God feeling. And that comes only when everything's going well. But often, God is at work in the midst of difficult times. Uh, Here's a quote from a 17th century Puritan who were very, very discerning pastors. Thomas Brooks It's a very great mistake, it's in your outline, among many weak, tender-spirited Christians to think that they have no communion with God, except they meet with God embracing and kissing, cheering and comforting up their souls. And oh, that all Christians would remember this once for all. That is, that a Christian may have his real communion with God in a heart-humbling way. In other words, when he's not feeling it, as he can have in a heart-comforting way, when he is feeling it. A Christian may have as choice communion with God when his eyes are full of tears, as he can have when his heart is full of joy. Does that make sense? Our fellowship with God isn't dependent on our outward circumstances. It, it can just be experienced in different ways in different situations But the truth is this, God's presence is never withdrawn from us. How do I know that? Because I I have a God feeling? How do I know that? Because it's the promise he's made in his word. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I am with you always. Always. Isaiah 41 10. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Do not be dismayed. Don't anxiously look about you because I am your God. I will help you. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you. So we know it. It's not that we always feel his presence. That's why James says in James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, steadfastness, discipline. It helps. The Lord is at work. Our faith is proved through these trials. Lloyd-Jones says you must stop praying at times because your prayer may just be reminding you of the problem and keeping your mind fixed on it. So you must stop praying and think. You got to think and work out your doctrine. Work out what you think God has revealed to us in his words. You got to think about that. I often find that people that are struggling, they're, they're miserable Christians, they're, Lacking joy, they want to be unique. They want the problem to be very special. It's like they come to the table analyzing sometimes themselves. Uh, They're introspective and they they want. I'm different than anybody else you've ever talked to, and you know what? That's never the case. We're all so similar. Yes, we have what I like to call characteristic flesh. We have sinful tendencies that are, you know, we're all different in a sense. But there's, there's not like, oh, you're the special one that none of the promises of God work for you. They work for everybody, but not you. Because your background, your upbringing, your sins. So one of the big ones, and this is kind of an application point, is, you know, people... They just think they've committed the worst sin in the world and God can never uh, help me. He will never give me joy. I'll never, have, I'll never be, you know, like Sherry Kittrell that just is always in heaven. You know, she's just always there. Uh, I'll never be like, you think of the person you think is the most spiritual, the most wonderful Christian you've ever known. I'll never be like them because... Well, that's wormwood at work in your life. And listen to Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Christ, Jesus Christ, might display his perfect patience. His perfect patience. And as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He's not like us. Perfect patience. And Paul is a model for every one of you who think somehow your sin is unique. Yeah. Works for Sherry. Works for that, that wonderfully spiritual person you're thinking of. But it won't work for you because of you who are just. Super sinful. No, that's not true. Paul says, I was the foremost, and I I was the foremost, and God saved me and gave me his grace and mercy so that you could not say that. So it's not, you're not miserable because your sin is so bad that grace can't redeem you. You can't have fellowship with God. It's really a matter of faith. So all this is introduction. I was trying to think of a way to encourage your prayer life. And I didn't want to do what I've done. If you look in your outline. In the true devotion prayer guide. I have the I have promises in there. I always go through those. Those motivate me. I've memorized all those things. I use them all the time. They will motivate you. But but I was trying to think of a. Just a new, fresh way to encourage you to pray. And so this is it. I want to build your faith that there is nothing that is going to keep you from access to God. Not because of you, but because of Christ. And so, in fact, in the outline, uh, which I'll try to get through. If you, if you go to how to pray on page two, if you say, see... Uh, you start off with a confession of need. Number 2 is a confession of faith in the gospel. Really what that is is preaching the gospel to yourself, okay? And I recommend you do that several times a week, daily if you can. I I don't do it daily, but boy pretty close to daily. I preach the gospel to myself. I've got verses that I memorized and I just review the gospel a lot of times I'll, I'll, re, I'll just review my conversion. A lot of times I'll just review um, atonement. Um, Christ living a life that now his righteousness is counted as mine and my sins are counted as his. We're going to lose time if I start doing this. But I want to encourage you to think about the gospel. Consider the gospel. It's not, the gospel isn't for you, you know, so that, Okay, you come to Christ, now you don't need the gospel anymore. You need the gospel every day. I love the gospel. I love to review the gospel. I need forgiveness every single day. I sin in so many different ways, thought, word, and deed every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't need the gospel. But I love to preach the gospel to myself. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus anyway. I'm going to lose time here if I get off on that. But that is what that point is about is preaching the gospel to yourself. And so you, you need forgiveness. Hopefully that will motivate you so that we can talk about prayer. And number two here is long wandering prayer. I heard about this book from Kevin DeYoung and I forget the comment he made. I wrote it down somewhere. Um, he said it was the best book on Prairie ever read. <laughs> that makes you happy because you can't get it, right? Uh, it's out of print, unavailable. I have a copy. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Maybe I didn't write it down. I forget his quote, but it was like, this is the one of the best books on prayer ever. And what's so surprising about it is it's just not like the a book on prayer that I would think a Presbyterian would really like. Okay. You know, this is the kind of book that a charismatic really likes right here. Uh, the guy, I think, is a Baptist uh, pastor. And uh, he's definitely not on the same page in some doctrinal uh, positions. But on this long, and it got me right at the beginning when I found out, yep, he's a fly fisherman in Montana. So I will, you know, full disclosure, I like that about him. But he talked about long wandering prayer and he really captured what I love to do, what I have done almost since I was converted. And he put it into words. He said it really well and he did it with a biblical background. So Friday, in preparation for this class. I went to the, uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which I actually own, it's mine. <laughs> uh, you can go, but uh, it's mine. And I just spent the day long wandering prayer. I had a couple specific things I was uh, gonna pray about, um, but one of the main things was this morning, I just wanted to uh, prepare for this morning. And so I spent the day uh, long wandering prayer. And and this book captures it. Um, DeYoung just did a message. You can listen to the message on um, his church's Christ Covenant Church in Charlotte, or you can go on Clearly Reformed, which is his resource page. Actually, I couldn't find it on Clearly Reformed. So I think you need to go to the church. But it's called Long Wandering Prayer. And he talks about, he's challenging his church and saying, I want to encourage you to take two hours and pray. So the idea with this outline that I've always encouraged the guys with uh, when we've done these classes is like, if you have this outline or if you have this memorized, you can take a hike. You can take a half day hike. And he, DeYoung talks about going five miles out and five miles back. He's in very good shape and uh, spending hours in prayer. So he's challenging his church. It's an evening meeting, not a morning meeting. So they're Presbyterians. They meet on Sunday night, but, He's challenging those, the folks that come to this class and the folks that go to Sunday night, they're a little bit more, you can can challenge them to pray for two hours. And so he did that with his church for this summer. He's encouraging them to do exactly what I want to encourage you to do. Grab that outline. What I will do is I'll trick myself I'll walk farther than I sh- you know, and then by the time I get done, I'm, I'm out there four hours because I, I got to get back. And by the time, you you know, you're kind of out of desire to pray, you don't really have anything else to pray. Well, what else are you going to do? You just pray. OK, we'll pray some more. Next thing you know, you've prayed for a while. And it really serves your soul. So that is what this book is all about. And I enc- I want to encourage you to give it a go. It may not be five miles out and five miles back. It may be, you know, 100 yards out, 100 yards back. But spending time. And a lot of people talk about walking. I love to walk and pray. But on Friday, so there was a couple things. I, you know, I experienced God on Friday. One of the things I, I was concerned about was... I had had um, uh, cousins night. We have all our grandkids in and babysit them. And I felt like I was impatient with um, my grandkids. And so I had really forgot about it. But when I was on Friday and I was, you know, long wandering prayer, the Lord brought this up and I was able to confess I was impatient. And so these little, these little six-year-olds will get it out of you, you know, if it's in there. And I just felt like I was impatient. I felt like I was corrected gently, but also encouraged. Like, that's where I'm going to focus my attention is I want to grow patience. So I want to see these cousin's nights. Here it comes. And I want to grow. I want to be patient. So you, we just read this verse, and it, it comes from this because he has what? You weren't listening. Perfect patience. Very good. I do not have perfect patience. But he has perfect patience. So the Lord was just stirring this. And then I was going to get each of the grandkids that I felt like I sinned against and confess to them. Grandfather was impatient. Forgive me. So I got some donuts and went to their house. And um, they were so glad to see me. I thought, they don't, they, they're not even going to know what I'm talking about. And um, they've already forgiven me. They didn't even, they weren't offended. And I just thought that was a very kind of Lord. And it may have been the donuts, I don't know. <laughs> Or the chocolate milk. Uh, But I just felt that's the Lord at work in my life. I want to grow. That's what this class is all about. I just want you to see how God used long-wandering prayer to deal with me. And and I think it's critical. I think it's important. I don't think it's discouraging. And I, I just want to encourage you. With that, So we're going to look at Psalm 55 very carefully. That is the psalm that one of the psalms that he looks at. It's also the psalm that the young looks at in his message. And it's, it's really an example. You know, when Paul says, when Paul says, uh, pray without ceasing. Okay, well. Go for a long walk and get away for a few hours. The the Psalms are the the prayer book of the Bible. God's people have been praying the Psalms for thousands of years. And if you've read the Psalms and prayed through them, you've noticed they really stretch our definition of prayer. And that's his point in this book. He, if he, he, he says, think about Psalm 23. David starts out talking to himself. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So he doesn't address God specifically like we normally think of prayer, does he? Until he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you. You, now he's second person Singular, he's talking to God. You are with me. The whole psalm is prayer, but how can it be prayer if David shifts back and forth, talking to himself and talking to God? Jake's going to teach today on Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. That's, those are the psalms that Lloyd-Jones' book on spiritual depression are based on. And in Psalm 42, the, the psalmist isn't named but he begins with the second person singular. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. But the prayer shifts immediately to the first person. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And so if you follow the model of the Psalms, your, your prayer is going to be much more than just talking to God, it's going to be different. And, you're going to have this inner dialogue, running dialogue in the presence of God. Hanson says, many of the Psalms appear to be poetic compressions of hours alone, wrestling with God and, and wrestling with yourself, your troubled soul, even with enemies, as we'll see here in Psalm 55. So look, look in verse 1, give ear to my prayer, O God. So he begins directly speaking to God. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint. I moan. He's he's experiencing this because of an enemy. Verse three, I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble on me and in anger they bear grudge against me. And his pain is so, so bad, verse 4, it feels like he's facing death. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. His troubles are so bad. Fear and trembling, verse 5, come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. So, so he's confessing to God. What he's told himself in this crisis, he wants wants to escape. Verse 6, and escapism is a common temptation for believers. So they get in trouble. We want to escape. What do we do to escape? Well, maybe you go to the movies. You know, maybe you turn to alcohol. There's, there's different ways. Maybe it's hanging out with the wrong friends. Or get your mind off of it. That's what he wants to do. Verse 6, I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. Yes, I'd wander far away. I'd lodge in the wilderness. I'd hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. So he's just, this is a poetic way of communicating he's troubled in his soul he wants to escape he calls on the lord then in verse nine to discredit his enemies they're wreaking havoc in his life so he says destroy O lord verse nine divide their tongues for i see violence and strife in the city day and night they go around it on its walls and iniquity and trouble are within it ruin is in its midst oppression and fraud Do not depart from its marketplace. He's he's telling us these are the enemies. This is what they're doing. He's got this long wandering prayer and he's just going back and forth. Now he's talking about his enemies. he, He feels differently. His mood shifts from desperation and anger to sadness and unhappiness. Sometimes it feels like he's talking to someone else. Sometimes he's talking to himself. That's what I did on Friday. That's what I did. I mean, that's what I do. And, you know, long lingering prayer and your mind's able to drift and you're able to be honest with God. Look, he knows our thoughts. He knows us. He knows everything about us. And he is the one being we can share our hearts with. That's what David's doing. So when you read these Psalms, you go, man, man should you really be saying that to you know, God? Well, that's exactly what he does. And this is our prayer book. And we should follow this example. He's, he's got this friend that has turned on him. And he's, he's got like a, conversation going with this enemy that was his close companion verse 12 it's not an enemy who taunts me then i could bear it it's not an adversary who deals insolently with me then i could hide from him but it's you a man my equal my companion my familiar friend imagine what that's like some of you have had that happen i've had that happen we used to take sweet counsel together Within God's house, we walked in the throng. And then, verse 15, he curses them. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. How can David, how can this be in the prayer book for us? How can he do this? Is it really God's will? Guys, don't want to just join hands and let's curse all our enemies right now? (laughs) Are we supposed to call down fire from heaven on our enemies? Is that what we're being taught? Or is this David enjoying long, wandering prayer, enjoying fellowship with his Father in heaven and, and expressing how he feels, knowing that God is perfectly patient and gentle. He'll convict him of sin, but he can share his heart. He he curses his enemies because that's how he feels. So he's opening up his heart, his mind, his soul. He's being honest before the Lord. We, We can do this in prayer. And then he feels differently again. He doesn't dwell on this desire to curse his enemies. He knows it's not his role to bring justice down on his enemies. He will let God be the judge. So instead, now he shifts verse 16. He'll call on the Lord in prayer. He'll trust God. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He'll bring the justice. He is enthroned from of old because they do not change and they do not fear God. So he will bring justice. his, His friend broke a promise. He was talking, he was slandering him behind his back, schemed against him. Imagine what David was feeling. That's why he felt so wrong. So verse 20, "My, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his agreement, his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. You know, at this point, it's hard to say who he's talking to. It feels like, Now he's preaching. He's teaching us. He's teaching the congregation of God's people. He's teaching us what it's like. He's talking to them in his mind. He's imagining this conversation. And then we come to verse 22, which is a highlight verse in all the Psalms. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit. The righteous to be moved. That's a promise. It's a repeated promise in the Psalms, isn't it? And then he shifts back to talking to God. Finally, verse 23, you, O God, you'll cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Hansen writes this, it's in your outline. Psalm 55 is a prayer that is a story of prayer. It recounts, in short, what David prayed at length. It's a poetic compression of a long and arduous prayer. And this explains the dramatic shifts in address and in personal mood in such a short space. For instance, praying in utter honesty, David calls a curse on his enemy. Doesn't last long. Doesn't exactly say that He repented of this outburst, but his mood swings to the confession that he will instead trust God to protect him, to vindicate him. So he changed from being like, remember James and John in the New Testament. Lord, do you want us command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So he went from that to the good sense of the Apostle Paul, Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's not unusual for the Psalms to move like this. So think through that. Consider that and take a long walk. Take a, take a little Bible with you and read through it. And, and learn to have this inner dialogue with God. Here's what Young says. There is freedom, great freedom in this kind of prayer. Remember, this is a Presbyterian. Yes, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, there's a certain way and certain kinds of petitions that he taught them. But that's not to hem us in. Remember when we went through the Beatitudes and we looked at the Lord's prayer. It's not to hem us in. Those, Those are not the only words we can use. So this outline is to serve you and it will serve you. But it's not to hymn you in. The point is that generally, praying to our Father in heaven is making petitions, asking for things. But the Psalms, in the Psalms, we see a different kind of prayer, a broader definition of prayer. In fact, in its broadest definition, here you go, we might think of prayer like this. Prayer is a form of thinking in the presence of God according to the word of God. By the Spirit of God through the Son of God. That's a good definition of prayer. Prayer is a form of thinking in the presence of God according to the word of God. By the Spirit of God through the Son of God. It's it's kind of a thinking our thoughts in the presence of God. That's a great way to think about prayer. Thinking our thoughts in the presence of God. So, sometimes in prayer, you talk to God. You talk about God. You talk to yourself. You talk to someone who's not there. And then you come back and you talk to God. It's kind of a running inner dialogue given up to God. It is not always a neat, tidy sermonic address, it's messy, it's meandering. Sometimes your best prayers will involve taking a long walk and wrestling and searching and thinking in God's presence. Just. One final thing scripture memory. So it's very helpful to memorize scripture. This is a little, very, very simple program. What I love about it is you can pick your verses, it's okay. Take verses you really like and memorize them. So you see, it says, once a day for seven weeks. Then you transfer that verse over to once a week for seven months. You get done, you'll probably never forget it. It's very simple. Start out with a couple verses. I've started out with verse and, I've, and, and I don't know what it is and I've gone, I'm not gonna get this one. I, it's not working. And I just move on to the next verse. There's some verses that are easier, some are harder. But just memorize some verses. Because then when you go on that long wandering walk, they just I just have them just come back up to me. And so you can enjoy fellowship with God in Christ. Father, thank you today for your kindness and your mercy. We are so glad that you invite us into your presence. I pray, Father, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit and draw us to yourself and that we would enjoy communion with God. These folks, Lord, I pray for them. They've humbled themselves. They've sacrificed to come this morning. I anticipate, I give you thank it, thanks in advance for testimonies of how this has served them this time in Psalm 55 and that they have drawn closer to God as a result. I pray for good fruit, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.